Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Chit Heads. My guest today is Angela Warburton. Angela has been treating, educating, and empowering people about their health care since 2001. In her private practice as clinical director of urban wellness, as a faculty member at the Institute of Traditional Medicine in Toronto, a frequent workshop presenter and lecturer including the University of Toronto, and a regular expert guest on The Stephen and Chris Show, Angela brings her enthusiasm and expertise to educate, inspire, and empower people in every medium possible. Having a background in health sciences studying nutrition and dietetics at McGill University, a degree in psychology, as well as her extensive and ongoing training in traditional Chinese medicine, Angela pulls from her diverse background to offer the wisdom of traditional medicines combined with the most up-to-date, relevant, and impactful options available for her patients and students. Angela has additional training in applied mindfulness-based meditation and runs a weekly mindful meditation group out of her clinic in Toronto. Whether it be educating and inspiring people about food and nutrition, mental and emotional healing, or just general wellness, Angela's whole person-based approach to wellness aims to leave people inspired, feeling better, and with a practical group of customized tips and tools for their life. Angela is passionate about helping people achieve their optimum state of health, vitality, and well-being through mind, body, and spirit. So with that, hello, Angela. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about Chinese medicine, which is, this is going to be the first episode where we've explored that topic, so I'm really looking forward to it. But before we get into um, the topics that we're going to explore, I'd love to hear a little bit about your own story and what led you to the work that you do. Yeah, um, great, thanks. It's... uh... It's interesting. I was, I guess, I was ripe for the Chinese medicine, but it was really through my own health issue that um, that I got here. And I had, as you mentioned, a background. I studied um, psychology and thought, you know, obviously the power of, of our mind and what we think is so important to our health. Um, but then I thought it's just limited. And then I kind of got interested in the body and food and nutrition. And so I studied um, Western dietetics and nutrition and. It was useful in some way, but then I felt that it just lumped everyone into the same category, that everyone should eat the same things and here are your food groups and off you go. So I just sort of, I sort of paused on that. And then it was really through my own um, health issue that, uh, that I got here. So I was looking around, I was working in a sort of related field that I was a producer for a website in the health area. So exposed to a lot of things, but at the time I'd been running, um, and training for a marathon. So I'd been running for about two hours at a time, easily, no problem. And then, um, one of my, someone quite close to me died suddenly and I went out for a run two days later and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't run down the end of the block without having this asthma that was just debilitating. And so I went to my um, family doctor and, and God bless her, she gave me what she knew, but she said, you have asthma, you'll have asthma, you're probably going to have it for the rest of your life and here's an inhaler and off you go. And I kind of paused and I'm, first of all, I'm like, I, I was just running for two hours. Now I can't even go down the street that fast there's got to be another reason and so I'd mentioned this death but she said yeah not probably not related and and so I just paused and it was through someone a friend of mine said well why don't you go and see this Chinese medicine doctor and so I went and it was one of those experiences as soon as I went in she I I was telling her what was going on and she sort of nodded like of course you're going to have lung stuff after that and um, I'd had this chronic nod on my back and and she said yeah that's the lung spot and that's the acupuncture point for the lung and 
and in Chinese medicine, the um, the lung system has to do every. So in Chinese medicine, every system every um, system has an emotion, a time of year, a food, a color, um, and the emotion associated with the lung system is grief or sadness. And so it's not uncommon that when something happens um, that that is incredibly sad or, or a shock like that, that the lung system can be affected. And so it's just, I had this whole body experience of like, Oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. And, um, in working with this, um, this woman who later became my mentor, I, um, did acupuncture. I did herbs. The asthma went away. It's never come back. And I was able to process my feelings and the grief around what happened. So, um, I kind of knew from that moment on, that's what I wanted to study. So I went on to study and, and I never looked back. Wow. Wow, that's a beautiful story, and 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 how powerful that you were able to kind of move in the direction of of something that was so life changing for you in terms of your own kind of self understanding and something that you were going through. Um, so I would love to talk a little bit about um, the what are the fundamental features that distinguish Chinese medicine from Western medicine. I know you've talked a little bit about um, each system having a kind of emotion or, or a related, um, mm -hmm. it related to some kind of psycho psychological affliction or, or issue. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the psychology of the organs in a bit, but just in a, in a kind of general sense, what are the, the fundamental features that distinguish Chinese medicine from Western medicine? Mm -hmm. um, it's a great question. It's a big question, but it's, yeah. uh, it's um, so Chinese mes medicine in its essence is about balance. So the idea that when we're in balance, we feel well, we have lots of energy, we sleep well, our digestive, digestive system is strong. When we're out of balance, our body's going to be talking to us. So in Chinese medicine, every single symptom, little or big, is telling you about what's going on internally. So everything's relevant. Um, and it's this, I, this idea of the body as an ecosystem. So again, and everything's telling us, uh, giving us an idea of what's going on, but also everything um, affects and is affected by everything else. Mm -hmm. So so if we have an emotional, something emotional going on, it could very well affect, I mean, most people probably know this through experience, it can affect our digestive system, it can affect our sleep. Um, it's... Um, we, when we're looking for what's going on, we're always looking for the root cause. So the idea that you, we call it root and branch, kind of like, um, you know, tree systems. If something's going on with the leaves, you want to treat the root systems to help heal it. So we're looking for the root. And once we find that and treat from there, that all those branch symptoms, all those other little symptoms will often get better as well. So it's not about focusing on that. Oh, I have a rash. Let's do the rash. But I also have, you know, um, a stomach upset. Let's do that. But if we realize, oh, it's actually the stomach is the root of it. If we treat the, the stomach system, then the, the rash doesn't have to express. It's, it's feeling sort of that healing. And um, so this idea of balance and that everything is related. We talk, a, Chinese medicine is kind of interesting because it really evolved. It's been 5,000 years um, and it evolved by observing people in the clinic and observing people in nature. So they often reference um uh, nature in a way to explain things. I think it was often because to explain it to, there were a lot of farming, um, farmers and things like that that were using it. So if we explained, you know, hot, cold, dry, damp, I joke that it always sounds like a weather report when we're talking about the body, yeah. but it's, it, we, um, it will give us an indication of sort of what's going on. And so, um, so it evolved um, from observing people in the clinic and noticing that, oh, okay, everyone who has 
um, digestive disturbances like this also have a, has a sore point here, also has this emotional thing going on. Also, we, it's really grouped into these categories. And it's under... Um, Everything is sort of put into, we call them um, organ systems, but it's also uh, um, sort of the seasons or is are part of it. So sort of just to give an example, like the lung system in Chinese medicine also relates to the immune system. It shows up in the skin. It shows up in our breath. Um, grief or sadness is an emotion that when it's... Um, we, we say all emotions are important, so but we want healthy expression of it. So grief and sadness is relevant and important sometimes, but it's overexpression or underexpression where there's an imbalance. Um, it shows up more in the fall. So a lot of times people who have a lung system imbalance might get more lung systems, either um, more frequent colds and flus or asthma or things like that that show up in the fall. Um, the digestive system, we call it the spleen and stomach, it tends to show up... Um, in the mental pattern of overthinking or worry or over pensiveness, um, show up in looser bowels, shows up in the muscles and, and sort of holding things in place. So sometimes when someone has this imbalance, it will show up in like a prolapse of organ or bruising easily, or the, um, when this digestive system's weak, it's going to show up as an overproduction of mucus. So someone who's, um, you know, stuffy all the time or can't, um, get sort of bloated after they eat that sign that, and so, um, so each system will have this, um, it shows up in a sense organ, a time of day. So if someone wakes up, say at 3 a.m. all the time, that was a sign that that system's off of balance. It shows up in um, a body part, so eyes, ears, uh, tendons, that kind of stuff as well. So it's very complex. It sounds very simple because we can say someone's, um, you know, someone's got too much heat in their body. So everyone can understand that. But um, it goes quite deep as well. Um, and so this whole idea of, of the system wanting we need to think to balance things out. Um, it's quite simple as if someone's too hot, then we want to cool them down. down yeah. yeah. And if someone's too cold, we want to warm them up. If someone's got too much mucus, we want to dry them out. If someone's too dry, we want to moisten them. So it's very simple. So people get it, but then it's the, the complexity. It gets quite, quite, quite deep. Um, but that's why it's so, um, there's not, one way or one answer for people. So five people can come to me with breast cancer or five people can come to me with asthma and their, their patterns different. So we're going to treat them according to the pattern. Yeah. So that idea that no, you know, no two people are, are the same is, is really fundamental in it. So I think that's one of the big differences and from Chinese medicine to, to Western medicine and that we're changing all the time. So our bodies are changing. So if I start to treat someone, they're not going to be on the same medication or the same herbal blend because their bodies going to adapt and change as well and so I'm going to always change what I'm doing according to where they're at um, so yeah so it's a very it's a very complex system and it's I think that um, the idea of um, where it sort of differs differs from a lot of the uh, I guess the media that we get around health it's like everyone should have a green smoothie or everyone should you know do it and there, there's nothing wrong with a green smoothie but for some people cold for you know or drinks in the morning when a lot of people have them is the worst thing possible for them and so some people are going to feel amazing but then someone else 
doesn't feel great and they think what's wrong with me like because the food's good so it must be you know what's going on it can't be the food and then sometimes that could be a person who's cold and if that person's having cold first thing in the morning or frozen drinks or things like that it's just adding more cold into their system so it's just going to make them feel worse but if that same person had something warm with say ginger well I mean food we look at food as having new properties as well as nutritional value and they have that and they stay away from their cold they're actually going to feel better they're going to absorb their food better they're going to feel more vitality they're not going to feel as sluggish or heavy and so um that's really where the the magic comes in is when we recognize we're all individuals our our um balance mental emotional uh what we eat how we live genetics um everything the environment we live in if we live in a damp basement or we live in you know, dry hot arizona that's going to have an impact on our health as well so when we're when we're looking at when someone comes into my office or when you know in chinese medicine we look at every little bit of the person and looking for those signs of what's out of balance and then treating from there mm-hmm. i mean it seems so you know it seems like it makes so much intuitive sense why this would be a better kind of formula or framework to kind of approach someone's health but you know and and so essentially what you're saying is that the 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 kind of and I'll just say traditional western medicine because I know that there we you know we both know that there are like different ways in which these are starting to complement yep. eastern medicine is starting to be incorporated into to western healthcare and so the all these things are changing but but it is essentially what you're saying that the approach of the west is really a kind of one size fits all that you know you see this person has this symptoms, they, they're diagnosed with this disease, and rather than looking to a variety of factors, as you're saying the Chinese medicine practitioner would do, it's really, well, this is what, this is what the establishment pr- uh, prescribes based on this ailment, therefore you take this pill or we do this. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah, like, yeah, this sort of idea of, um, you know, we sometimes say it's like a mechanic looks at a car, oh, your carburetor's done, we're going to take that out and fix that as opposed to, well, what else is feeding into why is that system broken? Like, so that's where that ecosystem, you know, if you, if you've got a bug infestation in your garden, well, what are you going to add in? You're not just going to take, you know, uh, that sort of got bad past my analogy but you know what I mean that's uh, that idea that and that we're we don't want to just band-aid things we just don't want to make if you have a rash we don't want to just make that rash go away we want to understand why the rash is there seek to balance and heal that part and then the rash won't come back but yeah. the idea is if we just put a cream on the rash is gone if we take that cream off is the rash going to come back yeah. so it's really it's important it's it, that it's true healing and the idea that, you know, that idea of balance, not just a precarious balance, but it's more like this idea of a harmonious balance so that each system is feeding. We have this idea of like a mother and a son sort of thing, or, a mother, or you know, a, a child and, and parent where the cha- parent organ is going to feed and nourish the child. And if that parent is depleted, it won't nourish that one. So you're going to get the second one. So it's going to have effect, like going to see side effects or see different symptoms coming up there. So the idea that, Every system needs to be nourished and balanced, and um, that's where we're going to get this harmonious balance. And when it's off, then we need to treat the whole system to get it back to balance. Yeah, yeah what you're saying about the kind of mechanic idea, it reminds me of my, my brother was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when he was in college. And, and you know, it was a terrifying uh, experience, you know, because he didn't know what's happening and he was losing a lot of blood and... and um, 
and you know his blood count got very low and it was it was sort of life threatening at that point and and i remember you know for the first and it's been many many years now that he's mm-hmm. he's been that he's had it but it it seemed like it was like years before you know uh, he was being told by anyone to like look at diet you know not, mm-hmm. not to say that diet would necessarily like heal everything but the the fact that but the fact that it wasn't even like offered is like maybe you know we should look at an mm-hmm. elimination diet and see what things are causing inflammation blah 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 and i just i just found it so mind-boggling that yeah. that wouldn't be you know that and and almost irresponsible of a doctor not to bring that up you know it was like okay you're here you're you're bleeding you're hemorrhaging in your intestines let's fix that and then bye see you later yeah. and, but with no tools to use yeah. to address the possibility of more inflammation i just felt it was you know so yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's hard too, though, but we're asking, I think there's two things like one, um, it's not, we shouldn't pit the systems against each other because they're very different. And so what Western medicine can do that Chinese medicines can't do, but they're not supposed to be one or the other, but also saying like, um, Western, um, medical practitioners, they're not trained in, in nutrition. So how are they going to offer something that they don't know? But I think where the, the disconnect or the, the lack is happening is that they're not saying, I don't know about this go see someone who does and recognizing because it's really when systems can work together it's synergistic it's like my i worked in integrated um, centers and when we pull from each other's strengths that's when people do really really well um and that we can work together and then say okay so nutrition is important i don't know about it but this person does but i do know about this and then also i think where we we um the disconnect comes is where we've handed over our health to a practitioner saying, you tell me what's wrong and you fix me. Where my experience um, for myself and my own healing, but also with my, my the people who come through my door to work with me is nobody knows your body as well as you do. And so you're going to know, and I know, especially people, like I've worked a lot in cancer and fertility, there's a lot of wisdom and people know exactly what's been off balance. They're like, oh no, I know something that needs to change. I haven't been doing it. I can't give them that answer, but I can support them with all the tools and then it's about trusting the wisdom of our body and so for a number of years we've we've lost that and we thought no it's you know it's all in your head or nothing's coming up on a test so there's nothing wrong and so people get discouraged and they feel like oh my god i'm feeling this way but there's nothing wrong with me what's going on and that's where the wisdom of chinese medicine it's great prevention medicine because it's like catch things i always say your body's talking all the time catch it when it's talking not when it's screaming and disease is screaming and so if we can catch it with all these different different signs and symptoms before and recognizing, oh, you know, I have, you know, whatever, a smoothie in the morning, I feel terrible. Hmm, what's that connection? Or I have a smoothie and I feel great. That's great. But dairy doesn't do so well for me or whatever the thing is and trusting that. And then having, I think though, as a practitioner, it's our responsibility to listen and to say, you know yourself, I'm going to give you what tools I have, but then um, trusting that and giving and empowering the person to say, you're right, there's a reason for that, um, as opposed to having people not trust their their inner knowing. And yeah. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit, I want to invite into the conversation these um, notions that we have that are come from, I guess, the philosophy of Taoism, but are central to uh, Chinese medicine as well, which is, are the notions of qi and and also yin and yang. So yeah. Would you talk about these concepts and how they function in Chinese medicine? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. The, the yin and yang is sort of the, the foundation. So everything in the world um, 
is yin or yang kind of in, and it's all in relation to each other. So, um, they are two, um, sort of opposites. Um, one being, so their characteristics of yin would be, it's, it's more of a colder energy. It's more of a passive or, or a, uh, sort of still a restful energy tends to show up more in the feminine. It's, um, it's dark. It shows up at nighttime where it yang by the opposite is more of a masculine energy, more heat. Chi is part of that energy. It's, um, more of an active daytime energy. So everything falls in. So it, and it's all about this, the idea of, um, the balance. So it's like, we need, what is night without day? What is day without night? What is hot without cold? If we just had cold, we wouldn't have anything, no, nothing to contrast it. And, and so we can have things that are ice would be the ultimate yin. And then, um, you know, steam or heat would be the opposite, but then you can have all kinds of things in between. Um, the idea to, I, I see in our modern culture, there's real imbalance between the two. A lot of the characteristics that we tend to, um, support or applaud right now are very young based. So it's this idea of active going, achieving, moving, doing busy, like people are busy all the time. Um, and it's all this sort of stimulants got to keep up, got to keep the energy up. We're missing a lot of that yin. And so, um, the yin would be more that parasympathetic nervous system, the rest, the relaxation, the downtime, the, the yin is also that idea of the deep, the unknown, um, and you can apply this to anything. You can apply it to just a, your daily activity. Like, okay, in the morning you get up, I have energy, I'm moving, I'm active. That's more of a yang time. At nighttime, we need to rest, and that's the ultimate yin, in order to have the energy to get through the day. And anyone who has gone through a period of insomnia knows that when you don't get rest at night, you feel pretty crappy, yeah. and it feels awful. And so um, what, unfortunately, I see that we're doing in our culture is we're going, 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 but not getting that rest, and we're get, what happens is we burn out. Um, and can also, that idea of going in can also apply to creative cycles too. So it's like that idea of, um, going in and sort of being still and that, and letting an idea come up and then we move into manifesting it. So, um, so, so that sort of, and everything falls into these categories. So, um, chi is, um, you mentioned that. So chi is considered, it's, 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 poorly translated as energy. It's actually um, called really wise or smart energy or vital energy or vitality. So anything that um, involves some kind of um, movement or um, something transforming, anything that requires energy of any sort is involves chi. So it could be, you know, ourselves dividing from us talking to walking to our digestive system that all involves chi and she's responsible for sort of holding things in place in the body. It's given. And so, um, it's also for just that, that energy. So when she's depleted, people might get obviously fatigue, um, depending what system it affects. And I think, um, you know, in talking about Chinese medicine, the foundation sort of teaching it, we'd go into sort of the, the, into more depth about the different organ systems and how it affects. But, um, if a chi is deficient in, um, say the, the stomach, system spleen stomach system the that person would show up with prolapses maybe like um hemorrhoids or prolapses or bruising easily because the body's not keeping the the blood in its its place it can show up in um looser bowels can show up um 
also chi in our ability to breathe in air so it can show up as sort of asthma or ability to get in that way and um opposite to chi would be blood so blood mm. is under yin so blood is not it's the blood we think of of course through our veins but it's we say it's a very um, nutrient dense substance that goes through our body so those two are paired just like yin and yang we need chi and we need blood because if we just have chi it's moving stuff it's not hasn't got anything to move if the blood's not there and blood's there but it needs the chi to course it and move it through the body so um so those are sort of fundamental pieces of, of chinese medicine and how um and and chi um it's like so that is, is chi yeah. that like the the kind of the governing intelligence that that causes your heart to beat yeah. So anything that requires me, like our heart to beat, our mind to think, our, um, you know, our lungs to take in air, uh, our, you know, will to live, our, to get through. So if we're chi deficient, sometimes we just don't have that energy. Um, but yeah, so it's just basically this incredibly smart, wise energy that it, and it fuses, it's not just in an individual, it's in the world. So like chi in plants, right? Anything that's alive has chi in it. And we always joke when I'm teaching nutrition class, like um, you can tell when you go to the grocery store foods that have great chi so it's life force right so if you get some kale or something and it's bright and like happy and looking really firm and and kind of like oh i'd like to eat that that's full of chi and it's often foods that has been like we, when we pick them and they're fresh they've got a lot of chi or life force in them and then you put that piece of kale in your fridge for a week and you take it out later and it's like limp and kind of hanging there that's not got a lot of life force left left in it so we can see it and just like plants as they die or things. And so, um, you know, and you can see sort of, um, you know, animals or people at the end of their life, we only have a certain amount of chi and, and we get, we, chi gets replenished through our food and through our, the air that we breathe. And so that's what we say that we make it all the time, um, as we're living, but we also have, um, sort of we're born with, if you say like our bank account of energy or sort of our genetics. So as much energy as our parents had for us, they, um, they're going to pass on to us. And so that's like stored energy. And so ideally we're making enough to get uh, this chi or energy through our days, through eating well and through breathing and, and taking in proper oxygen. If we don't have enough, we're going to take from that bank account and then that's going to trans transform that energy into usable energy or chi. Um, the thing with our bank account of energy is we call it Jing in Chinese medicine. But um, if we keep dipping into that, all of a sudden we get into overdraft. And so that's where burnout happens. And that's where people get, we say that the kidney system in Chinese medicine get, is, a, is that sort of bank of energy. And people who um, are sort of using too much of that will get things like low back pain, knee pain, um, waking in the night to go to the bathroom, insomnia, that kind of stuff will show up that that system, um, premature grain of the hair, weak bones, weak teeth, that kind of stuff. And so um, that's a sign that we're going into our overdraft. And so it's this idea of balance like we just don't want more chi we need chi we need blood to build it we need to make sure we're producing it from our food and stuff but we also make sure that we're not overexpending it so that's why rest and that sort of idea of yin is so important too that we need to you know i say to people you can't breathe out all the time you have to breathe in mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the idea of taking chi in and, and then restoring and resting and then we're able to go out to the world and do what we need to do beautiful so um now, moving on to kind of, you know, uh, 
So we have this idea. Well, actually, a clarified question. So sure. you said chi, um, it's it's not totally right to translate it as energy. And I sort, sort of understood your distinction to be that it's a wise energy. So is the difference totally. that it's an, that the energy is intelligent and not just mindless? Is that the idea? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah. Okay, so um, I want to talk. We well, we're, we have been talking a little bit about the psychology of organs and and the relationship between certain mood dispositions or psychological afflictions with um, with particular organs, and and I love you know one of the things I love about the the chakra system is the way in which it maps psychology onto the body, which is you mm-hmm. know in line with what we're talking about, where you know this you know this dualism between the mind and body, which is sort of uh, the way, at least how I see um, traditional Western medicine functioning with the separation of psychiatry from, you know, the physical mm-hmm. um, sciences and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> whereas this is really saying, no, these these two are integrated. We can't speak of the mind yeah. separate from the body. Yeah. And so I'd love to just kind of explore, you know, and I know it's not, it's not a, again, it's not a one size fits all. You know, we were talking before the interview about how, um, grief isn't always the lungs, but you have, so what's the kind of general, um, association of, of different organs with, um, a variety of what we might call kind of psychological ailments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, so there's, we say five organ systems, um, and each one has a sense organ, as I said, like a, a time of day and emotion in that. So I'll go through them and sort of explain yeah. how it might show. And, and knowing that one organ out of balance, that idea that each, nothing stands alone, so it can also affect another organ. Mm. So, each, so oh, sorry, we, each organ has a time of day as well? Yeah, yeah. So I'll What get, does that mean know, exactly? So it means that there's a, a clock um, that whatever um, that an organ system it's like it's like a time each organ system has a time of year as well so like the lung system is in the fall the winter is the kidney system the spring is the liver um the summer is heart and then the spleen we stomach system either it's an earth element so we say either late fall or that's kind of like earth um in the sense of everything happens on the earth so it's like our center so um so as well, a time of day. So the idea that um, the heart system shows up midday more than because it's kind of that fire system. It shows up summer. It's like the heat of the heart system is fire. It's like the most young organ. Mm. Um, and so it shows up in a really active time of the day. So when someone has an imbalance in the system, sometimes what they might have is like a around 11 a.m., they're getting heart palpitations. They're noticing they're a little more anxious at that time because the heart system has to do with anxiety when it's off of balance or joy when it's in balance mm-hmm. um, and so at nighttime the liver system so every the systems are paired so liver and gallbladder are together so between 11 and 3 a.m. is a liver gallbladder system so if someone's always waking up at 2 a.m. there could be an imbalance in that system and people might have noticed if they're really stressed because the liver system has to do with them um, stress shows up in the system more than any other one um they might wake up at 2 30 in the morning kind of stressed or thinking about stuff but when they're not stressed they seem to sleep through so that um so and we notice like 
kidney system shows up between in the afternoon, like two, five to seven kind of time. So those people who get that 4 p.m. slump and they feel really exhausted, that can be that the kidney systems. And so sometimes it's as simple as listening to your body. And if you're too, you know, tired between two and four and you have the um, ability to take a rest, to take a rest or to do some, you know, 10 minutes of meditation or take a walk. Most people go for sugar and coffee, which tends to stimulate the adrenals and then you're getting into a bit of a slippery slope. But um, so, so does so, that sort of exact, sorry, because yep, I drink ahead. a lot of coffee. <laughs> yes, yeah. So does that sort of, and, and actually I do feel like I have that two to four slump a lot of days. Yeah. So is that exact, are you saying that that's exacerbating the issue if you, yeah. if you answer that, that, that call to, with a, a cup of coffee? What caffeine does is it stimulates our adrenal glands to pump out more cortisol or adrenaline. And so that gives us that rush. So it's not the coffee giving us the energy. It's actually our body's reserves going, okay, here you go, have some more. Mm. And so then we're actually, it's like going into that overdraft a bit. So if we can just, you know, uh, take a rest, meditate, like I said, go for a walk or have some sort of nourishing snack or something and just take a little bit of a break. And, um, that tends to recharge people and it's not dipping into that reserved energy. I so see. Much. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, it's the person too. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of normal, but I think we, we tend to push through so much. So we just got, we have these unrealistic expectations of how much we are supposed to accomplish in a day. I think everyone has it like the best they've ever felt in their life. Um, that's their bar. <laughs> and so, and then if they're not measuring up to that, there's something wrong. We're supposed to, there's this natural, like energy we're supposed to, um, rest at certain times, certainly like in the winter, you know, we think of what nature does, everything hibernates, it goes in and that we're supposed to expend less energy in the winter so that we can build up our energy. So that comes spring when there's all that movement, um, that natural vitality comes back, we're able to go and do stuff. So, um, when we push through it with the same, sort of to-do list year round, we actually are causing ourselves um, a bit of harm as opposed to listening to what do I need? Okay, so maybe I need to do a little less for a month or two and trust that it will come back. I think people are so fearful. If I'm tired, I'm going to be tired for the rest of my life. But um, but if we just listen and, and drop in that the body responds really, really well. And I found people who have that two to four slump and they stop drinking coffee, but they can just, you know, take a moment, um, they actually start to not have that as much. They, send, they, they tend to rebound a little bit more. Um, but yes, yeah, I digress from your original question around the emotions that, um, so, so again, this, you're getting this probably getting the idea of the complexity of it and how everything is, is sort of related. So I'll go through the systems and explain a little bit about the emotional um, side of it. Um, so if we start with um, the kidney system, it shows up in the winter, um, it shows up in the bones, um, and it shows up um, in that sort of two to, two to seven in the afternoon. Um, the emotion associated with kidneys is fear, so, um, and also courage. So that's, we're supposed to feel scared sometimes, because if we didn't, we'd be in trouble. Um, but when we feel like when we're feeling too scared, or we don't have the courage to move forward with things, or it stops us, that's an imbalance. So someone um, I've seen, I remember um, a woman, she had she was an older, she was, I think, 42 when she had her first baby. And we say get, having babies actually takes a, a big um, chunk of that kidney energy, so that bank account of energy. And she was a very vibrant, very, um, you know, uh, successful businesswoman, kind of fearless in the sense that she would just, like, have a goal and go for it. And after her having her daughter, she couldn't 
leave the house. She was so scared to walk down the street and she couldn't figure out what it was, but it, for us, it was that kidney system being off of balance. So when we replenish that, then she was able to move forward. But it's just so how it can show, it can show up when the body's drained and the emotions can come up, or it can be actual someone who's had a traumatic event and it's caused, um, you know, caused them to have a lot of fear and it takes healing that the emotional event in order for them to, to sort of have that balance with fear again. Wow. Um, so, and then we, the liver system, it shows up in the tendons, it shows up in the eyes, it shows up in the nails. So someone with like ridge nails or hang nails or dry eyes, that can be that system off of balance. The liver system's in charge of, um, circulating chi. So it's kind of like, we call it the general of the, the, um, systems and it kind of gets stuff done. Um, and it's in charge of movement. It's emotion is, um, Anger or frustration can be part of that system. Also, forgiveness can be part of it. Um, so, again, no, every emotion is important. So, anger, um, healthy expression of anger is important because sometimes we do need to be anger, angry, and and that also motivates change sometimes. Yeah. But when we have um, overexpression or underexpression, which I see quite a bit in our cult, in our modern culture, um, that's when it's out of balance. So someone who's really quick to anger, really snappy, um, that and and can show up in PMS um, and and um, with women or sort of menstrual disharmony that like and problems that can show up with that system out of balance. Um, but the, also the underexpression, the, you know no, I'm fine. Everything's fine. You know, when really they should be angry because there is a reason. Right. And so I think that we've, um, demonized some of the emotions who think if I'm not happy, like that's what I'm always striving for, but joy is great, but that's only one part of being a, a whole complex person. Right. So it's, uh, so it's honoring of that. So that's the liver system tends to show up more in the springtime. Um, it shows up in the flank pains and stuff like that. So, and that will show up in the waking, um, waking at sort of that you know, 2 to 3 a.m. Um, sometimes hard to get a, a big breath in because your ribs feel tight. Um, that kind of stuff will be that system off of balance. Mm. So would, so if, if, if it, that strikes around 2 or 3 a.m., is that would a symptom of that be like waking up at that time maybe? Yep, exactly. Mm. Waking up in that time. Um, yeah, waking up with if that's, you know, with stressful sort of thoughts and things like that, that can be that sign out of balance. Yep. Um, and also... Uh, you know, this idea that, again, that everything, one system off of balance will affect another one. So I would say like the liver and the digestive system, um, the spleen stomach system, they, they can, the liver can kind of, we, the term would they use as attack, but can have, can really affect that system. So it's, I say it's like two friends that really shouldn't hang out together because they kind of bring out the worst in each other. Um, so if the liver system is overacting on that stomach system, you're going to get things like IBS. So this is the person who, because the, the digestive system, the spleen stomach shows up um, in our ability to take food in and to absorb it and to create blood basically and nourishment for our body. Um, so it's, it's going to show up in the muscles. It shows up in, in our bowels. It can show up in, um, uh, um, our ability, like our taste will show up in the system. Um, worry and pensiveness is this system. So someone who, um, it overthinks either like fretting about something or just someone who overthinks because of their job. So students get a, an imbalance with this system um, all the time as well, just overthinking. And so if this 
systems off balance, they're going to get bloating after they eat. Um, the byproduct of a weak stomach is often mucus. So some people will get stuffy after they eat or more mucus production. They'll get looser bowels, um, bruising easily. All that is that system off balance. So if it's strictly that system, they're probably going to have loose stools and, and feel a weak digestive system all the time. But if it's the liver influencing it, someone's going to get um, that IBS. So constipated because things aren't moving because they're stuck. And then all of a sudden they're going to get loose bowels or something like that. Or, um, yeah, so it's just kind of that, that where they can affect each other. Mm. Um, do the, S- do, do, do the intestines play into the, the stomach liver connection? Yeah. So, so the liver and gallbladder are. Oh, paired. I'm sorry. Stomach. Is, yeah. yeah. So liver, gallbladder, stomach, um, spleen. Mm-hmm. So we say, or pancreas is kind of the organs. Um, then there's the lung system and the large intestine. Oh, are, I see. Okay. We're getting yeah, there. Yeah. We're <laughs> getting there. Up. Yeah. So the lung and large intestine. So the, the, um, the lung system shows up in our immune system. Mm-hmm. It, so it shows up in the skin. So, um, it's a lot about boundaries, our lung system. So it's about breathing, so obviously breathing in and also letting out what doesn't work. So the large intestine is like getting rid of what we no longer need. Um, breathing in life also with our skin, it's going to keep out um, pathogens, things like that, that protect us and that from the external world. Um, and it also shows up, we say way too, but it's our immune system, our ability to fight off colds or flus. And so someone who has a, uh, the systems, uh, weak is someone who's going to get colds and flus really easily. Um, they might have uh, spontaneous sweating, like they can't, um, uh, like their pores are kind of too loose, if you will. So they're, they're going to sweat easily, like too much breathlessness, having a hard time getting sort of that breath in sometimes can be part of this system. Um, and, um, so the emotion associated with this system is grief or sadness. So again, that it that's healthy and normal. So for me, with my um, with my ailment, like with the asthma, uh, it was a grief like that shocking death of someone. Um, it's both, and again, this idea of paired, like the lungs breathe in the air, and we say the kidney system is about grasping and pulling down that that energy or that oxygen. So a shock will often hit the kidney system um it will show up with like premature grain of the hair and stuff like that sometimes if anyone's had a trauma or something like that they'll get a patch of gray hair that comes all of a sudden but so having uh, someone who died suddenly and it be a shock it sort of affected that whole lung and kidney system for me um but so grief and sadness is part of that system so someone who um maybe if that's off of balance someone who's abnormally sad or crying all the time um that they can't i don't remember one one patient she cried for a year after a breakup and it, she just got incredibly depleted in the system and so it was that there's just a bit of an imbalance it's just maybe too much and also people who don't grieve might have um have issues that show up in that system as well and then the last one um that is the heart system. So that shows up obviously in the function of our heart, if any, and it also shows up, we say the heart mind connection. Yeah. So our, our spirit is part of this system. Um, and the, so it imbalances with this would show up with like palpitations sometimes also dream disturbed sleep or, or trouble falling asleep or that really, really, really busy mind at night. Um, and so 
joy um, is part of this system being imbalanced, but anxiety is a sign of this system being anxiety or depression are often this sign of these two. So if it's depleted, it can be depression. If it's over, like um, it's got too much heat, we'd say in it, that you can show up with anxiety as well. Um, that's sort of generally, but again, the idea that everything is connected and what's the root is what we're always looking for. Interesting. So with, um, the anxiety and depression, um, one being related to the heart mind, as you're saying, um, given that this is, you know, these are two of the most, um, uh, what's the word pervasive, I guess, issues, yeah. you know, that people suffer from, um, what it would be a, a Chinese medicine kind of response to, in order to treat these, you know, obviously in, in Western psychiatry, we have the pill, you know, yeah, a whole host of lovely pills that you can take yeah. and then you're just addicted to drugs for the rest of your life. So what is the, um, what is the, the response from a Chinese medicine perspective to this issue? Yeah, that's uh, a great question and a huge question in some ways because, and it's a hard one. I think with Chinese medicine, when we try to answer for one reason, it gets really frustrating and for people and hard because there's again that co the complexities that go into it. So I'd have to look at yeah. what's going on. So sometimes it can be sort of again back to this idea of um, things being connected, um, the different systems. The heart, we need a certain amount of blood to function in the heart and if someone's not eating well or if their digestive system is weak they're not actually producing the blood so that's not going to nourish the heart so that can actually cause um, depression so we could say heart blood deficiency is something that could show up in someone so um, and that's that's a pattern but then we look at food we have to obviously look at um, the mental emotional state so are there you know traumas um, you know what's been going on from that because nothing's we have to look at everything so um, so when I'm approaching working with someone with anxiety or depression, um, look at, at their history. So what's been going on? Where does the anxiety come from? What's their lifestyle? So sometimes anxiety can come from someone who's not listening to their body and pushing through and overly overstimulated and overworked, and they're not actually resting. So then it, that, it's sort of like it goes into, um, you know, hyperactive mode. And, and so the people are like their adrenals are fire over firing. Mm -hmm. So they've got all this adrenaline in their system. And so they're burning out, but they've got the anxiety. So sometimes it's like, we have to look at lifestyle. Um, we have to look at the, you know, the food. Um, I do a lot of mindfulness and stuff as well. And the, and the breath work and things, because sometimes we're in that fight or flight state constantly. I actually find the majority of people are in fight or flight state, um, going through our world, whether you look at the traffic that we have to navigate the work right. hours, the amount of stimulation and the amount of information coming in, the amount of stimulants in our food. So, um, the coffee, the caffeine, the sugars, the processed foods, all that is to, is stimulating. So again, back to the idea that that all yang based stuff, we need that yin. Um, so, I mean, that sounds very simplistic, but it's, it's, it can be quite complex because what happens in true healing is we have to look at the whole person and then we have to make changes. So I think that what we want so often is the, the one the pill, the thing, yeah. make it go better, like make it better, but make it really better, like the root, but the root only gets better. Like all the things that we do every day impact our health 
And so in order to heal, we have to look at all those things and make changes. And sometimes they're big changes. And I, you know, my work with cancer is sometimes like the body screaming. So it's like, okay, we don't have the option of saying, yeah, you can do this gently, but sometimes it doesn't have to be big. And it's about recognizing and making subtle changes. Sometimes if we're taking something out, what can we put in um, that's nourishing that will also you know, feel good for the person because sometimes we think of this, it's going to be a really hard and difficult thing, but sometimes it can feel really good and it can be very subtle, but over the long term, that's really where, where huge change happens. It's over the long term. It's not quick fixes, um, that the person can feel way better and more restorative, but a lot of it takes that deeper listening of what is actually going on, um, in the lifestyle and the body. And, and I think we've got you know, the individual, but we've got our culture, which is, is not serving us so well as far as that goes. Unfortunately. Yeah. So let's, you know, you mentioned cancer. So let's move into talking about that, which is, you know, one of your main areas of your work is integrative cancer care. And so I guess my question is, you know, what is integrative cancer care and how does it differ from um, uh, the, I don't know, status quo approach to cancer care? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I had the privilege of working at a, um, a place called Inspire Health in British Columbia for a number of years. And it's the, a government funded uh, center that, that uh, is, in, it's, is integrative cancer care and it's funded by, you know, cancer, the different cancer agencies. So it was great. So it's working MDs with NDs and Chinese medicine, um, counselors and massage therapists all under one roof. And so, um, there's a couple of approaches to integrative cancer care. So there's integrative and different modalities. So, um, working together with conventional treatments that are going on with Chinese medicine or nutrition all to together. But then the bigger thing is more integrating the whole person because Cancer is multifactorial. It's not one thing. And yet our conventional way of treating it is really, it's like, oh, you have a tumor. So we're treating, that it all becomes about a tumor. If that someone's got a, you know, a solid mass tumor is their cancer. And so the, the traditional approaches are, okay, we've got uh, radiation, chemotherapy and surgery, and there you go. And so that leaves out the person, which is, you know, cancer, it doesn't come overnight. And so it's like, in order to treat it and to heal it, we need to look at the whole person and look at what's been going on and what's going on in that person's life. So integrative cancer care and what um, Inspire Health is doing. And there are some great books out there, Radical Remission by Kelly Turner um, looks at this as well as um, there's another book called Remarkable Recoveries. And um, they look, these two people looked at people with incurable cancers um and they were were not expected to live a long time um that they re recovered fully and are cancer free 10 20 30 years later and so looking at what did they do to get there and so um what they found are these these characteristics these nine characteristics or 12 characteristics that everyone did um and so what's interesting for me as a chinese medicine practitioner is it's this whole person-based healing and that's what they're studying at inspire health and they have great they they're doing um studies throughout and they found that people who who approach cancer with this integrated whole person based approach fare way better remission rates like they have uh, like survival rates are better um, than than just doing conventional treatments so it's this idea of approaching the whole person so the idea that no one knows them there no one else knows like everyone knows their body best um, and that we have to look at things like diet lifestyle um, genetics for sure but then we look at spiritual beliefs, connections, um, emotional relationships, all of that 
is fundamental in healing and about recovery from cancer. And I, I mean, the nice thing is I apply this to everyone who comes in because that's really the essence of Chinese medicine, but that, um, and some people to greater or lesser degrees, like some people, um, diet is their huge thing. Um, but they have a really strong spiritual connection or some people it's like their emotions, they just haven't gone there. It's, it's been too hard for them. So it's really the emotional work, but their diet is pristine, you know? So it's really, um, you know, to greater or less degrees for each individual. And that's again, why we can't say this is the cookie cutter version of when we're dealing with breast cancer, this is the protocol. It's because a, you know, five women with breast cancer are going to have very different patterns as far as Chinese medicine goes, and also very different lifestyles um, as to what's going on in their life that has got them to this place. So it's really that idea of this um, uh, bringing the whole person into the the, um, the healing plan. Mm. So, you know, for people out there who are maybe not familiar with this or who think of cancer in the kind of like, okay, I... I, I, I find I have cancer, I go get chemo. Mm -hmm. Can you, um, can you describe sort of what you've, you know, some instances or, or of what you've seen change or shift f uh, as a result of this care? Yeah. Um, so it's, well, the nice thing is that, that, it, that idea of synergistic medicine, like where if people are going through chemo, there's a lot that I can do right. to help someone with a side effect. So the idea that when we do that, like if I can help keep blood levels high, help the nausea stay down, to help people maintain a quality of life. Um, and yeah. so that treatments stay, if that's what they're choosing to do, that they're staying on time, that they're, it's sort of maximizing the effects. But, um, you know, it's, 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 when we bring the whole person in, a lot of people, when they've been diagnosed with cancer, I mean, it, it can, it's a huge, huge shock, wake up call, um, and very scary for a lot of people. And, um, so I think it can be very empowering medicine when with this whole person based approach, because a lot of times and the beautiful thing in, in the research is that the things that have the biggest impact are the things that people can do on their own at home. And it's not relying on, a, a, you know, a Western um, medical practitioner or a Chinese medicine or a practitioner or a naturopath. Um, those are important, but they're very, there's a pyramid that the um, sort of Inspire Health has around the the most, you know, healthcare and what's important. And the, you know, the, the foundation, the bottom of the pyramid is will to live. And then it's like joy and, you know, emotional connections and things. And as we go up, it's like conventional treatments in Chinese medicine. They're at the very top. So we can do lots to help people with the, you know, physical sort of effects. But really the things that make the biggest uh, difference are those those things that people can do at home. So when working with people like I've had, um, I, I, I must say the most inspirational people come through my door and I have so much respect for them. Um, and they've done, a lot of them have just done, um, amazing things in listening to their body and listening to what they need to do. Um, so I remember one gentleman, as you can imagine, get really, people get very focused on the treatments and what's going on and the cancer and the results and all that. And when we started talking, they were sort of trying to find out more about him um, and what he liked to do. And one of the things he loved to do was playing music, but he never hadn't been playing for ages because he'd been so focused on this. And so, um, you know, 
we worked together and, and sort of some of his homework was to play music. And so he'd start saying, oh, I played for my girls. Like he had two daughters. And then um, he it was part of his weekly routine. And he felt so much better after playing. And I remember him coming in one day and just saying, you know, he, he played with a bunch of his friends in a band. And he said, you know, for three hours, I forgot that I had cancer. Wow. And what happens in our body when we are in that fight or flight state, we don't tend to heal. But when we're in that open, expansive, that sort of um, more relaxed state, that's when our body and our cells heal. Um, I've had people who listened, um, you know, people who have gone through all types of treatment with, you know, choosing radiation or choosing chemotherapy and uh, other people that knew that, um, I remember one woman in particular, she was a young girl and she had a very, um, she'd had, um, she'd had, uh, a cancer, a blood bone cancer, um, had gone through um, radiation in the past, gone into remission. She'd gone away, met someone, long sort of story, came back, um, got married, came back to her family um, and was living near them, had a very toxic relationship with her family. And while she was living there, her cancer came back. And so they were going to start doing radiation again. And her husband, so they were talking and he said, you know, what, what do you want to do? And she's like, you know what, I just need to go away. I just need to get out of here. And so she did. They decided to go. They were, he was from New Zealand. So they went back to New Zealand and spent a lot of time on the beach and just had a relaxing time. And while she was there, her cancer went into remission again without doing any of the conventional treatments. But she knew that her relationship with her family was incredibly toxic and she needed to get away. And so it was taking care of herself on that level. And that's, a, that's sort of an extreme case in some ways, but it, it I've lots of people who sort of have spent time listening to that inner voice. Um, some people like just knowing immediately that they needed to change their diet. And it was um, just, it was um, it had a huge impact on their health, but they wouldn't have done it otherwise. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, so there's just so many, um, it's, and it's going to look different for everyone, but, um, it's, it's the people that not all, and I think one of the things too, is there are people that I've worked with. Um, one of my colleagues used to call it cancer thrivers, um, as opposed to cancer survivors, because people might be still living with cancer, but they've never felt better in their life. Wow. So they might be still going through some conventional treatments or doing different things, but they've changed their diet. They've worked on their emotional relationships. They're honoring themselves and their, their energy needs in the course of a day. Um, they're really listening to that. And through that, their health, they feel better than they've ever felt. So I think it's also breaking down of what, what, um, it means, like, what does it cancer mean? And that it can, you can be a whole person and, and still be living with cancer and working towards healing, but that feeling great in the process. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, it's the, that story you shared about the woman was really inspiring. And, and I think, you know, the common theme that I'm, one of the common themes I'm, I'm feeling here is, is this approach to empowering the patient, you know, yeah. even when, because it, it is sort of like, you know, it's the go-to that if you, you, I imagine myself having cancer and of course then it's like I'm a victim and, and there's all this whole like mm. psychological and, and emotional hangups that go along with this. And so it's hard to kind of imagine that, to, that you could feel like a whole person in that state. But, how, but of course, you know, in any condition that you're in, that is available. And so to mm -hmm. empower people to access that is so, is incredible. That's beautiful.
Yeah. And I think that that's where real true healing comes from when we recognize, you know, that heal that healer that's within and to tap into that and just have like, I look at myself as sort of a coach that I'm here to help people. Um, but part of it is helping to, for them to, um, figure out what it is inside that they know. And it's just bringing that out into light. Beautiful. So now let's talk a little bit about fertility, because that's the other area that you work a lot in. So I would love to hear a little bit about um, the approach to fertility from uh, from your, the perspective of traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah. Oh, I, it's ironically, it's um, cancer and fertility have a lot of overlaps. Believe it or not, um, I think they both are uh, things that have. A huge, like huge, huge, huge impact on someone's whole life, and that it can be all-encompassing. Like they get so focused on it that a lot of the whole that the individual gets lost in the fertility. Like what? Because fertility, um, often people are going to fertility clinics quite quickly, and once they get in there there's sort of a, a cycle that goes in that they're in the clinic a lot. So blood tests, ultrasounds, constantly monitoring their body. And there's no real break for women um, because if, if they're going through the treatments, it's their whole month is, is either working towards trying to get pregnant, ovulation, and then waiting. And then it's sort of this cycle. So it's a huge emotional toll on people. Um, so depending on what someone's coming to see me for, um, if it's just to sort of, they're having, just taking time or they want to, I mean, ideally they're just trying to prep their body before, but if they've, they're thinking it's taking a while, if they come to see me, it's that idea of, okay, what's the root imbalance? So what's going on? So it's working on um, finding out, you know, what, you know, diet, lifestyle, like their cycles, what's going on, um, what, how, um, what someone's cycle is like gives me a lot of information. If someone gets PMS, if it's short cycle, if it's, um, you know, not a lot of, uh, flow, if they're, um, you know, if it's irregular cycle, all that. So I can do a lot with once I figure out what's going on, we treat, treat that root imbalance and help the body. The idea is like, there's a saying, we cultivate the soil before we plant the seed. So it's like this, well, we use that for farming, but for also for the body, we want to make sure that the environment is right in order for the body to conceive and then not only like conception um have like a healthy pregnancy but also have a healthy baby and have a healthy mom after so it's like all the different stages um so if it's just working with that that's i would sort of work to find that root imbalance if someone's going through fertility treatments because they have an issue i'm going to work the same way if someone's going through conventional cancer treatments i'm going to work to support the, them through that process so helping with any side effects if they're on medications um helping to optimize blood flow into the uterus and ovary I, ironically again these are um we live in stressful times and the fertility process if someone's at a, um, going through assisted reproductive stuff can be incredibly stressful and our bodies when we're stressed their our bodies are incredibly wise and they will shut down blood supply to areas that are deemed non-essential when we're stressed mm -hmm. and one of those non-essential places is the reproductive organ so like, so we actually have blood flow that goes, you know, into our legs, but it will cut off the blood supply to our uterus and ovaries when we're stressed because it's like, oh, we're trying to survive. And so that's kind of the exact opposite of what we want to do. So a lot of what I do is I'll work with people how to calm the nervous system down, help to redirect blood flow in through acupuncture or I'll give mm. women sort of massage techniques, that kind of stuff. Um, we can do herbs to help, you know, with, um, 
lining or the quality, you know, and working with food, like food is one of the biggest things for um, quality of eggs um, as well. It has like, I think a fivefold increase on, on egg quality. So, um, and then it's just, I think a lot of it's holding space for women too, because it can be, I think a lot of um, the clinics can be very upsetting or just this full of a lot of people who are incredibly invested in having a child and it can be, there's a lot of anxiety or stress can be a lot of anxiety and stress in there. So, um, people will come in and ideally, you know, there's a calm environment and they'll often have a place where it's safe to talk about how they're feeling, um, and let out some of that emotion, but also with this idea of very empowering, what are the things that they can be doing at home? Because I think a lot of times with fertility that it feels like it's out of their hand, but then right recognizing what can they do. So I'm very, very, very big on empowering the person. And the thing is, it's once someone knows, they don't have to rely on me, they can trust themselves. And I think that getting um, back and being familiar with what the, the your individual wisdom, like your, your wisdom compared to my wisdom is going to be different because we're different people. And so um, I think the more I can empower someone with that, um, the better they fare. Wow. So would that explain, um, I have a friend who she had a, a long, long history having trouble having children, and then she and she did in vitro, and then after she had her, she had two, she had twins after she did in vitro, and then, and then she got pregnant. Yes. <laughs> so is yeah. that? I mean, is it what you're saying about like the stress reducing the blood flow yeah. to? Would that sort of be an explanation, a possible explanation yeah. for that? Yep, yeah, huge. It happens a lot when we because we're just so focused on it, and that you know that the thing when people say go on vacation. I mean, it's so frustrating for someone to hear that but it's but the body when it's relaxed it's more receptive and just think how we feel right when we're relaxed i'm way more receptive to stuff than when i'm stressed it's like get away from me i don't want to talk yeah and so um but quite physiologically like what happens in our body um it does change when we're stressed so it can be as simple as you know adding meditation breath work breathing into the belly doing a longer exhale than inhale all those things calm our nervous system um and they can seem really simple but they have a over time, they have a profound effect. So, but yeah, that's really common when people like their second comes sort of yeah. unexpectedly. <laughs> yes, she was like, whoops. Here we go. Here we go again. <clears throat> okay, so um, this has been a really lovely conversation. I want to I want to talk about um, uh, a couple more things. What one? The first one is craniosacral therapy. So, what is the what is the kind of foundation of knowledge that inspires this kind of therapy? Like, what is what is the significance of, you know, the cranium and the, sa the, the sacrum for our kind of health? Um, so I, there's a gentleman, John Upledger, who really pioneered this. And it, he was actually, uh, I think, hired to prove that the, the, the skull didn't and uh, move or there was no that this cranial rhythm this expanding and contracting of the cerebral spinal fluid like that, that didn't actually happen um and he's, he's like whoops it actually does so it was through um he so that he sort of and figured out this um uh, you know the, what was going on with the brain and the connection of of the flow of this fluid and also the sacrum and all the different um uh you know, the sake the bones in the body, sorry, that got not very articulate very fast. But okay. so he, um, he found that we used to think years ago, um, that the bones in the head were fused and that nothing moved. Like once they, you know, you're born and they kind of fused into this spot and nothing would affect it. And, um, that's actually what 
our anatomy book said for in like medical schools would say, oh, no fuse. And then that's the whole idea of like, no, whoops, they actually do move. And so what's happening is this expansion and contraction of the cerebral spinal fluid. So what goes in to feed our brain, um, it's um, the bones and the, the skull will go sort of sort of in and out with that. So what happens sometimes through birth, through trauma, through like any kind of accident, concussions, um, the one of those bones can get jammed. And so it's not expanding or contracting the way it should be. And so that can actually compress on the part, certain parts of the brain. So headaches, um, mood changes, all that depending on where those bones are compressed. And so with cranial sacral, one of the things we can do is, um, this is when I'm working with concussions and things um, combined with the Chinese medicine I find to be highly successful, is that we can, and it's very subtle and very gentle, um, that you can actually like pull the, the bone that's been compressed or jammed out again. And so that is actually going to flow and, and move as a way it, smoothly as it should. So, um, and one of the things that, um, what I love about the cranial sacral is it can actually drop the body into that healing state. There's something called a still point. Um, uh, something that we do is called a still point, which basically holds the body, um, in this state of, like holding the, the, a certain part of the, the uh, head where so everything sort of pauses for a minute and the body drops into that healing state so engages that parasympathetic nervous system and that's where we get the sort of the real healing um, so people can have I, I combine this with my Chinese medicine there are cranial sacral therapists who will do a way better job of explaining this than I but it is incredibly I find it to be incredibly powerful tool and um it's just using the wisdom of the body but also using um the bones in the head and the sacrum and it's sort of interaction that whole spinal column uh working together to have sort of another way to get optimal functioning in the body okay so now i want to talk about i want to talk about cleansing because i know that you do cleanses but there's been you know a lot of some recent criticism of cleanses as being a kind of massive you know industry that's based on an ambiguous notion of toxins. This is an article based, this is coming from an article that I recently read. And, and, and these, the, this particular critic said that, you know, that toxin is never defined or described. And so, um, their idea was that the body naturally detoxifies itself. And so we don't need any kind of special aesthetic practice to get back on track, blah, blah, blah. So I know that you obviously have an educated perspective on, on cleanses. So can you, can you kind of, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, and tell us, you know, tell us what is, what is kind of BS and, and what is, you know, right about this whole cleansing business? Yeah, that, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and I think that we get so many trends and I think that we have to be really, really, um, sort of mindful when, and, and be a bit discerning with what we, information we take in, because again, this idea that, that, uh, no two people are the same. So no two prescriptions for healing are they going to be the same diet or otherwise. So, um, and I think, yeah, our bodies do naturally detoxify, but then how we're living, um, that the toxic load can absolutely build up. And that's one of the components that's definitely, um, prominent in the cancer for sure. Um, so, you know, we have our detox organs, so our, you know, our, our lungs, our skin, our, our digestive system, like our, our bowels and colon. So we're going to get rid of things that we don't need. Unfortunately, um, you know, when we're, 
when our food has changed a lot, our environment has changed a lot over the years. So we have, you know, pesticides on foods, toxic um, fumes that are coming in from our environment, um, things, chemicals that we're putting on our skin, um, you know, plastics and things like that that get into water. These aren't sort of natural for our bodies these are not things that come from the earth necessarily and so and we just and living in cities and things like that water all the stuff that we put in our bodies have to process them so yeah they can process a lot but then you get things like eating poor quality of food so decreased fiber so what's happening is our bowels aren't as efficient Mm -hmm. at, at getting rid of things people aren't sweating they're not doing things to actually rid toxins from their body. Their breath is really short and shallow because we're stressed. So we're actually in that fight or flight state. So we're not actually using our detox organs well or optimally. And we're putting, we have a lot of toxins, toxins coming in. So what happens if our body can't process the toxins? Like, and the other thing too, is we, we detox and we cleanse and we replenish at night. So if we're eating late at night, if we're not sleeping well, if we have fitful sleep, if you know, all those things, then we're, our bodies also aren't replenishing and recovering at nighttime. So you get all these different things. And so I think we do have, um, so if we get this, we're not able to detox, then these toxins get stored in the body. So they get stored in the fats, they get stored in the cold, like the digestive system. They, then they're not actually being um, purged. And so cleansing can be a great idea. Um, and just a cutting the source of the toxins. Um, I think we should always pay attention to what we're eating, what we're putting on our skin and all that stuff. But, um, so cutting the source. So I, I do say like cutting, um, uh, you know, organic foods and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, and maximizing the systems that are around detox. So great idea in theory. Um, (laughs) so where I get a little more specific is, um, generally speaking, we, we recommend cleansing in the spring only. The reason is it's the liver system. We're going from that heavier winter time into spring, lighter foods. There's, um, we want to kind of move and there's more movement that happens in spring. Winter time, we're supposed to be staying warm. We want to be, we're wanting to actually keep, you know, when people put on a little weight or animals store up for the winter to keep warm, to keep them going through that sort of darker, harder time. When we're cleansing, we're sometimes, uh, we're depleting ourselves often and, um, um, cleanses are often very cool and property. So, um, so that's why we should be changing our diet throughout the year. But also, you know, if we're having raw foods, cold foods, frozen foods, and it's a time when that's very cold outside and we're wanting to stay warm, we're actually adding more cold in so we can throw ourselves off balance. Mm. Um, also not everyone should be, you know, not all cleanses are created the same too. So some people do quite strong cleanses. So a, I think those should only be mostly be done in the springtime you get someone who's very very we say um excess someone who's very hearty very hot very strong um very excess a lot of phlegm a lot of things like that stuff they could probably handle a cleanse in the winter and it probably wouldn't be bad if they're if they're sort of in excess but um someone who's very depleted so cold weak frail getting sick all the time uh, congested not very sleeping very well um uh you know, just not very, like, doesn't have a lot of vitality, those people should not be cleansing, doing a hard cleanse because it's going to deplete them too much. And so those people would do well with a very um, simple food cleanse, not adding a lot of extras in and avoiding any of those, like being doing a cooked food cleanse. So just lightly steaming their vegetables um, and and, uh, maybe doing some a little bit more building food while they're doing a bit of a cleanse. Um, and so it's very, so it's, so it's, there's like 
a whole spectrum of the type of cleanses you can do. And, um, and then you take the person and you've got to match it to the person. So that's why I pet peeve of mind when people are like, I'm going to do a juice cleanse for like new years. I'm like, ah, don't do that. Um, because I mean, it, de- it depends on the person, but you just, we could end up feeling way worse after. Yeah. So, um, you know, the things that if it's, if cleansing, you know, little things to watch for is someone feeling really weak, they're feeling depleted, their bowels are loose, they're, um, getting congestion, they're getting frequent colds they shouldn't be doing that and so and that's why i always say work with a practitioner someone who knows your body and then and can and can tailor it so i, I so i think cleansing is good but just be very um mindful about how you how one does it mm. excellent i love those beautiful chimes in the background oh i know it's, <laughs> kind, of, it's kind of like marking the end of our interview it's oh there you go <laughs> Thank you so that. angela this has been really lovely so i i wanted to just end by giving you an opportunity to share <clears throat> a little bit of what you're doing and, and i'll just and, and you know how people can find you and any workshops or anything that you're um participating in i will just mention um to the audience that Angela is going to be participating in our upcoming online conference, Radical Therapies, um, which is um, more of what we've talked about, plus, you know, from a variety of different perspectives, but mostly all inspired in one way or another by the Eastern traditions. Um, So we've got, so Angela, of course, will be talking more about traditional Chinese medicine. That's happening from July 14th to the 16th, 2017. So if you're listening to this after that, well, if you're listening to this before that, you can um, sign up by going to radtherapies.embodiedphilosophy.com, radtherapies.embodiedphilosophy.com. And if you are wanting to listen to Angela's talk, but this is after the date that that launches, just there, there will be access to that after the fact. Um, on our website. So just check out our website for that. So Angela, um, you know, besides that, what else are you up to that you want to share with the audience? Oh, okay. Um, well, I have a private practice, so I do see people in my clinic, and I also do Skype consultations with people um, if they want to look at sort of that whole person-based approach to healing with um, using Chinese medicine. Um, and upcoming, I'm going to be doing a few um, courses in the next, bringing in the next year. Um, one of my big things that I'm working on right now is uh, wise woman aging, so a healthy menopause, because I think nice. it's so needed. Yeah, so if anyone's interested in that, they can contact me and I can let them know when the course will be available. Excellent. And they, and we, they can find you at AngelaWarburton.com? Correct, yes. Okay, awesome. Yes. All right. Well, this has been a real pleasure, Angela, and uh, I'm looking forward to um, watching your talk for the conference coming up. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon, Angela.